T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. It is a seasonal infection the way that normal common colds are. That means we are going to see it again next winter, and that's when the fact that you don't have any protection from this current year could come back to bite us. That's health reporter Michelle Cortez. This is WBBM's In-Depth, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. I'm Cisco Kodu. This week, we continue our discussion on COVID-19 as the majority of cities across the United States and around the world have been shut down to a near standstill to try to stem the spread of the deadly virus. On today's podcast, we'll talk about how employees are faring as they work from home. The local construction scene in Chicago remains very busy during the outbreak. We'll talk about how the pandemic will potentially change retail and travel maybe forever and some advice for people who are out of work and are now struggling to pay the mortgage. How can you negotiate with your mortgage company? First, let's talk about some of the latest developments in the COVID-19 outbreak, including the hotspot New York State and especially New York City. Michelle Cortez, health reporter at Bloomberg News in Minneapolis. She's been keeping us up to date on all things national. And Michelle, let's talk about New York. Things appear to have stabilized there. That is good news. They're not out of the woods yet, but it does seem like things are at least a little bit better. They are a little bit encouraged that things are looking better. The number of new cases has declined for the last three days in New York, which is very encouraging. And the number of people who are need or on ventilators who need some kind of breathing support has also dropped. And that gives those overburdened hospitals a little bit of extra breathing room, which is very, very welcome. The flip side of that is is that they're still seeing their death rate uh, accelerate pretty dramatically, and the death rates follow the case report. So we hopefully will be seeing them come down in the days to come. Here in Illinois, our governor's been updating us just about daily on the number of ventilators that are available and ICU beds that are available uh, does having access to a ventilator, if they determined yet, does that really greatly increase someone's chance of surviving if they get serious? Yeah, they say that being on a ventilator early is very important, and then you might be able to get off of it a little bit earlier as well. But in general, needing to be on a ventilator is a bad thing. Somewhere between 50% and 80% of people who need a ventilator do eventually end up dying for, from this coronavirus. So it's not a good thing. But if you need a ventilator and you can't have one, and that's a much faster death. Talk about the uh, earlier we we've talked about New York. The fact that things are getting better there. Louisiana has said it seems like things are getting better. Uh, Illinois, as we're recording this, and this is on Wednesday as this podcast is being released, things are looking better, at least stable here in Illinois. Talk about how social distancing, all the stay-at-home orders, 
how they may play a role in that. And once they're lifted, if they're lifted too soon, we, we might get back to a point where these number of cases and deaths are, are rising even more. Exactly. Well, that's the conundrum of social distancing. By definition, you're not getting close enough to other people to let that virus pass from one person to another person so people aren't getting infected. So it's not like you're protected at all from the virus. You're just protecting yourself by not being in proximity to it. But in the future, if you are in proximity to it, you're still vulnerable and you can get infected. So the good news is is that the infection rates are staying pretty low and under control. But If you release some of that social distancing and the virus is still in your community, then everyone is vulnerable and those rates can shoot right back up. The federal officials still saying the next couple of weeks are going to be really rough as far as the number of cases and especially the number of deaths. Exactly. Well, like as we talked about just a few minutes ago, deaths follow cases. And while it is looking better in some parts of the country, in other parts we are seeing cases continue to climb in in the South in particular. And so we know that we're going to start seeing this swath of deaths moving through areas where they've been hotspots already. And while that's happening and we're all kind of, you know, horrified by the high number of deaths in, you know, in New York and New Jersey and that kind of thing, we're seeing increasing cases in the South and then deaths there will follow. And that pattern could continue. We don't know how long. Dr. Anthony Fauci at the federal level has been saying, he's sort of sounding a note of caution, hey, hey, some things may have stabilized, but we're not out of the woods yet. And part of that is because of how long it takes for a vaccine to be developed. Talk about that a little bit. A vaccine's not just something that you can have to market in a matter of weeks. Absolutely not. And this particular situation is very challenging. They're trying to get a vaccine on the market in 18 months. I don't know of a single example where we've ever gotten a vaccine on the market in 18 months. And there has been a lot of effort to get vaccines on the market. For example, HIV, we still don't even have one. Coronavirus actually causes the common cold. People have been working on coronavirus vaccine for decades, and we still don't have one. And the companies that are in the lead when it comes to developing a coronavirus vaccine actually don't have any vaccines on the market using this most exciting breakthrough technology that people in the public health world are very excited about. So there is a lot of hope for it, but boy, things are going to have to go really, really perfect. And it's never happened before. You know, people are very excited about it, but it has never happened this way before. So everything's going to have to be perfect. And I don't really know that anyone's coming up with a plan B for what happens if the vaccines don't work. Are health officials worried about the summer? I mean, we've had some pretty decent weather here in Chicago. It's really tempting for people to go outside. Obviously, June, July and August will be a big temptation. Absolutely. And we don't know, as with so many things with this virus, what's going to happen as the as the summer comes and everything heats up. Certainly, we have seen with other coronaviruses, just like the common cold, it's much less common in the summer. So it is possible that infection rates could drop. It might be that warm, heavy air is more difficult for that virus to move through. Of course, so many people are vulnerable. We're still probably going to see infections no matter what, but maybe it will drop off. The problem with that is is if it is a seasonal infection, the way that normal common colds are, that means we are going to see it again next winter. And that's when the fact that you don't have any protection from this current year could come back to bite us. Things are obviously very fluid, not only nationally and internationally, but also here in Chicago. We will continue to update you on the air and on this podcast Thank you, Michelle Cortez. Let's talk about people who are working at home in this environment. You have some situations where spouses who are used to both being out of the house working are now at home working. 
How is that going? And how do you make sure that your relationship stays all right during this pandemic? Let's talk with Jessica Schaefer. She is Senior Director at LaSalle Network. Jessica, if I understand right, you and your husband are doing this right now. You're not used to working together at home, but now you're both working at home. How's it going? It's been better than I probably could have hoped for, which hopefully is the case for many of us listening to the radio today. I think we finally have it down after four weeks. So what are some of the things that people can do, especially if maybe you don't have a lot of space? So it's not exactly like you can necessarily create separate spaces. Right. That's the biggest challenge is, is how do you get your work done when you're in, in the small confines and maybe both people are on the phone and they're competing for airspace or airtime? How do you get it done? And the biggest thing is just setting expectations and being honest with your partner, saying, you know what, I'm going to need a little bit of alone time or I'm going to need to use the office during this time. Can you find another place to work and, and find Finding a way to meet in the middle. Now, what about creating, again, even if you don't have a lot of space, uh, creating these areas for work and these areas for home so that you don't get in a situation, especially if this goes on for several more weeks, where it just seems like your whole place is all about work? Right. There's a lot of research that came out even before COVID-19 that said that you need to separate your work and your home life, which means probably not doing work from the bedroom, finding another space to work, whether it be in the kitchen or the dining room, or if you have a home office working there. But there's a lot of research that says don't be doing it from the comfort of your bed. One of the nice things about this is a lot of couples are not necessarily able to get together for lunch. Maybe they don't work near each other. And now, I mean, you're, you're right there. You, you could have a daily lunch date. Cisco, that's definitely the silver lining. People are home, you know, I'm using air quotes, home earlier so they can cook dinner or have dinner with their spouses and their families. They can go for walks during the day. And I think that's that's a good way to look at it. You got to look at the upside of things. What about creating these, uh, I don't know if it's zones or signage or or something like that. I've seen online some people that just put signs up that say, do not disturb, do do not come into the room. (laughs) I, I guess that may be wise. Boundaries and to say, you know what, I'm on a really important conference call, or I'm going to be on the radio this afternoon. I need you to take the kids or take the dogs or whomever and make yourself sparse. It's, it's okay to say that. And communication, you've already touched on this, but communication just the key from the beginning of the day when you wake up all the way through the work day. Yeah, understanding each other's schedule and saying, when are your calls? When are you busiest? When do you need me to, to you know, go for a walk or be outside or not be, not be around you? Let's talk about our schedules and align them up, especially if you're taking care of children. It's even more important. You know, what are the hours of the day where you can, you can balance the kids and work? And what are the hours that I can? And, and tra- taking turns. What about the uh, temptation to treat your spouse like a coworker? Hey, hey, can you do this for me? Hey, can you help me with that? I think that's probably a recipe for disaster for anybody who's been married for a while. Um, I know my husband does not appreciate that. And I think it's important to draw, draw those distinguishers and say, you know what, I need to hop on a Zoom and talk to a coworker about this as opposed to talking to somebody who's right next to me, but who's my spouse. Communication is key with a relationship if you want that to be healthy. It is also key if you are struggling to pay the mortgage A lot of people are out of work right now or have had income seriously reduced, and that may make it very difficult to make that mortgage payment. Communication does seem to be the key here, as there are some programs that can help you out. Rick Sharga is here. He is CEO of C.J. Patrick Company in Orange County, California. Rick, we've seen all of the stats. There are a lot of people hurting right now, and that presents a challenge when it comes to mortgage time. 
It sure does. And uh, April is, is the first month where, where this will become a, a factor for a lot of the people whose in- income has been affected by COVID-19. Uh, May will probably be a little bit worse. We've had uh, 10 million almost uh, new jobless claims in the last two weeks. So it, it could be a real problem. So are, is there help for people? I'm thinking if they've had that uh, that drop in income, do they just call the mortgage company and say, hey, hey can you work with me here? Or are, there, are there ways that they can get help? Yeah, there actually is some good news on this front. The federal government passed something called the CARES Act. Uh, and, and what that does is allow a, a borrower whose income has been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic uh, to automatically qualify for a forbearance program. Uh, what a forbearance program means is that the, the, the lender uh, will allow them to defer payments for a period of time. And the, the program, when it comes to government-backed loans, allows for up to 180 days uh, for that first forbearance period, uh, six months, and then uh, uh, the borrower can qualify again for an additional 180 days. Uh, two important things to note about that. One is that a forbearance is not uh, the same as having your your debt eliminated. Uh, what it basically does is defer those payments. So you still owe the money, you just don't have to make the payments right away. And the second is this program in particular uh, is only for, for government-backed loans. So it's a loan that's backed by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, the FHA, the Veterans Administration, or USDA. So loans that aren't part of that pool, and that's probably about 40% of the loans out there, uh, you still have to work with your specific mortgage company to see what kind of programs they have. So is that something people should be calling their lenders to find out if that's the type of loan they have? Yeah, the, 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 the best way, the Usually the best way to do that is to call your mortgage servicer, and that's the company that sends you your your monthly mortgage bill, and they're required to let you know what's going on. The problem is with the forbearance program, there were over there already been over 700,000 people that have called in uh, looking for some help. Uh, the, the, the wait time on the calls is, is getting to be over 20 minutes. So it, it's getting harder to reach uh, those those mortgage servicers. If you go to the Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac websites, there's also a place where you can look up your loan to see if it is one of the loans that, that's owned by them. But in the end, you're, you're still going to have to get in touch with your mortgage servicer to, to, to put the forbearance program in place uh, and to get the details on how you're going to have to repay those loans um, e- even if you do qualify for forbearance. And, and that's an important consideration, too, because some of the programs call for a balloon payment, which means at the end of the forbearance program, you're going to owe all that money back at the same time. And this is probably a word of encouragement to people who may feel awkward placing that call to call the mortgage company, may, maybe pride, that sort of thing. Uh, just an encouragement, hey, you know, go ahead and do it. Get the help if you need it. Anybody who needs the help, I would really, really urge to take advantage of this program. And it's important to reach out before you're delinquent uh, so that the, the, the lender knows what your situation is. Nothing to be embarrassed about. This is a, a great program the government's put in place. <clears throat> Equally important, if you can pay your mortgage, pay your mortgage and don't gum up the works by trying to get, get in on this program uh, at the expense, perhaps, of people who can't get through because uh, you're, you're kind of gaming the system. So it's it's important for people who, who aren't being affected uh, to let the people who are being affected take full advantage of the program. Some people are able to pay the mortgage, others are not. When it comes to retail, it seems like some are going to be able to survive and others are not. Jan Rogers-Niffin is CEO of J. Rogers-Niffin Worldwide in New York City. He is a retail specialist He joined us on the WBBM Noon Business Hour to talk about the future of retail. 
Uh, Jan, is this just going to speed up some of the thinning of the retail herd that we've really been seeing over several years? Yeah, it is. Um, We've been seeing this coming, right? We knew that we were going to see lots of store closures. I've been saying we'd see 100,000 store closures over the next several years. We saw about 10,000 last year. This year, we'll probably see 20, maybe 30,000 because it'll accelerate what was already happening. Same thing with going online, right? The business has been going online since 1999, but now we'll go online faster. And clearly grocery, which was only two and a half percent online when all this started, will be a lot more online once this is over. Are the big, big box stores better able to weather this or or are they maybe more leveraged, tighter margins? I mean, I'm just trying to think of whether they have an advantage in an environment like this as far as lasting. They have a huge advantage because they're open. Amazon's doing well. Walmart's doing well. Target's doing well. Costco's doing well. Home Depot's doing well. A couple of reasons. They're selling what people want to buy, and they're open. Everybody else is not selling what people want to buy, and on top of that, they're closed. So their leverage is pretty scary because their income, their actual cash flow, has gone almost to zero for a lot of these companies. Malls closed. The stores are closed. They're non-essential. They're just hoping they have enough cash to get through the period to where their stores can reopen. And that, I'm thinking, if you sell clothing and that's all you sell, it's just a time that's especially hard for you. Yes, you would think if your stores are all closed, your online business would be doing a lot better, right? If you're selling something nobody's buying right now, clothing and accessories, even your online business isn't as good as it was and you're brick-and-mortar business has gone almost to zero. It's really pretty ugly if you're if you're in that kind of business. And that's most of the retail that you and I think of, say, that's at the mall, right? Or even that's in the strip center. Sure, the grocery store is open, but TGX is closed, and Ross is closed, and Burlington is closed, and when you're in the mall, everything's closed. So it's, uh, it's tough on those retailers, and a bunch of them unfortunately, probably won't survive. Well, we knew some of them weren't going to survive long-term anyway. That long-term just became a lot shorter. Do you see a difference in the retail experience going forward in light of this? Uh, you know, more uh, social distancing measures, uh, di- different barriers between people at the checkout counters? I mean, just wondering if those things will last or if they'll all get taken down and changed. I wonder that we'll ever go back to what we were before just because now we know this is possible, right? We haven't seen one like this since 1918. Yeah, we see the flu every year, but we've all gotten used to that, and we all take flu shots. And But this thing got so much attention, and it's such a big deal that I doubt that we're going to go back to just standing right on top of each other. I doubt that we're going to go back to being face-to-face with the person that's selling us the product. Robots have to be more important now. Online selling has to be more important. Separation inside the store has to be more important. More cleaning has to be more important. All that's got to be happening. And I don't see how we just go back to where we were. I think this just accelerates all the trends we've seen and adds a few new ones like separation. There will be a new normal for retail, and we're not exactly sure what that's going to look like. There is also likely going to be a new normal for air travel, and we're not sure what that's going to look like. A lot of airlines have cut flights in a major way. When will they be restored? Are there any deals out there to be had, especially if you don't need to travel for months? 
We talked with Henry Hardeville, travel industry analyst and founder of Atmosphere Research Group. That conversation also on the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Is one of the challenges here for buying airfares the fact that so many flights have been cut and, and we don't know when those flights are going to be restored? That's correct. And right now, even the airlines aren't quite sure. They have filed schedules. They are selling tickets. But of course, everything right now is subject to change. And so if you're someone who, say, doesn't need a flight right now, but you need it three, six, nine months down the line, if you buy it now, there, there may be much better availability just a few months down the line. Well, if you buy now, you're probably going to get some good availability, and there's some great deals. And something to bear in mind is uh, that some airlines, including, of course, Chicago-based United, have uh, created some very generous, flexible terms in terms of how you can change and manage your tickets uh, uh, in the future. So if you find a deal that you like, um, you should consider it. But just be careful. We don't know when we're going to get the all clear to travel again. Yeah, be prepared to make changes, certainly for for quite a while. Uh, And you mentioned a lot of airlines making things more flexible, which has got to be a relief not only for the passengers, but for the airlines. I mean, if if they're flexible and that money stays in their coffers instead of being refunded, it's it's a good thing for the airlines. It it is. Now, of course, the the issue is if uh, uh, you need that money, you may not want to give an interest-free loan to any airline or, for that matter, any company. So before you book the ticket, just make sure you're confident about taking that trip uh, or that you may take another trip on the airline in the future. United, for example, and Delta are both giving you up to two years to use travel credits. Now, are there deals to be had? I would think that with fewer flights, the the prices might be stable and there might not be as many deals. It's like supply and demand. There are some deals that are out there. Uh, I have heard of people booking flights uh, from the U.S. to Europe in business class for travel in the fall for roughly $2,100 round trip on some airlines. Wow, that is a deal. And and so people, I mean, should they be thinking about maybe travel that they, they might not ordinarily take in order to take advantage of the deal or, or still just focusing on trips they have to take? You know, you should only spend money that your budget will allow. And especially right now, I recognize that there is a lot of uncertainty over our jobs and what money we will have and so on. So never spend money irresponsibly. But if uh, you're planning a trip somewhere, if it's a place you want to go and you're looking six, nine months, even a year down the road, you know, go ahead and book it if you can afford it. But just recognize you may not get the cash back. You may get a travel credit should circumstances change. As people are getting antsy about taking advantage of the deals, is there a belief that once everything gets back to whatever the new normal is, that, that airfares will just skyrocket, that it sort of get the deal now or never? Generally, in the past, we have come out of a situation where where it's soft demand, you know, and everything goes back to a more normal period. Airlines usually have airfare sales to get people spending money. Uh, you know, doesn't mean that it'll happen again, but that's what we've seen in the past. But once we get back into a more quote normal unquote environment, then I think the more typical airline pricing. Uh, policies and strategies will apply. Airfares will go up as demand increases. We'll see what happens when we are in a more normal environment. That may take a while. Airlines really are hurting. One industry not hurting in Chicagoland is construction. A lot of projects are moving forward. Albie Galoon is joining us. He is senior reporter for Cranes Chicago Business. 
Albie, it seems as though construction is essential. Well, in Illinois it is. Back when uh, Governor Pritzker issued his stay-home order about three weeks ago, um, he determined that uh, construction was essential infrastructure. So that means that you know everything construction on everything from uh, office buildings to apartment buildings and condos uh, continues. And this is um, you know something that states all over the country and municipalities all over the country have had to wrestle with. And it kind of depends on what state you're in. If you're in Pennsylvania. They've shut down most construction. Same goes for New York. And so, um, you know, I guess it depends on uh, what your definition of uh, essential is. And when it comes to, uh, I guess, keeping a sector of the economy going, this seems like one that would have a pretty significant impact, because not only do you have that project going on and, and those workers, but they're buying and using supplies. And so you have other jobs that keep moving throughout the supply chains. Yeah, in the Chicago area, the construction industry employs about 130,000 people. Uh, that's a lot of people, but, you know, there are also, you know, there's a trickle-down effect, as there is in, you know, every industry. And so, you know, you've got material suppliers, and um, there's, a whole, there's a whole supply chain that flows from that. And so it's a very big, big industry, and it's an important, uh, important to the Chicago economy. So when it comes to keeping this going in an age in which a lot of people are, are not at work, uh, is, is there any sort of a hint that maybe now is the time to do some of these construction projects? You, you have the the roads are basically empty. You, you have a lot of people who are out of office buildings and off other job sites. It's an interesting question. You know, I haven't heard that from anybody, but, you know, I think you're, you're right. I mean, if you're... Um, if you own a hotel and uh, you had been planning on doing a renovation, now is the time to do it, right? Because a lot of hotels are shut down. There's nobody. The downtown occupancy rate was below six percent last week. So um, when there are no people in your buildings, that is the time to do a renovation. Uh, I haven't heard that though. Uh, it would make a certain amount of sense, aside from the fact that you know, if you look long term, I mean, there are lar- there's a larger macro question here. You know, what's going to happen to the economy? I think uh, most people would agree we're in a recession right now. And, um, you know, if if this downturn lasts for a long time, that's going to have an impact on demand for for real estate. And so, you know, it's entirely possible that, um, you know, the construction industry, you know, it's a development and construction is a highly cyclical business. So if we're in a long term recession, there's not going to be much building going on. And I think that for people who are deciding whether to move forward with projects, you know, they have to go to lenders and get money to pay for them. And right now, a lot of that activity is on hold because of all the uncertainty. Unfortunately, that uncertainty is not expected to end anytime soon. Hopefully, the construction industry can continue moving forward, not only here in Chicagoland, but all around the country. Join us next week for another edition of the WBBM In-Depth Podcast, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. Be sure to subscribe to receive this free podcast every Wednesday. And, of course, listen anytime for the stories that matter by listening to WBBM on the Radio.com app or on your radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Cody. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.